What's up, guys, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I'm your host, J-Mac. I'm here live in the studio with JB. JB, what's going on, man? J-Mac, it's Sunday afternoon. We got golf, baseball, basketball tonight. We're, we're in a treat. I mean, we got to enjoy these Sundays before they're over of multiple sports in their peak time. There's just a lot going on, that's for sure. And I feel like I've been kind of... I've been living NBA to NBA game, it feels like, and you've kind of been into soccer, and then we've both been in the NHL. There's just been a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff to keep our eyes on. I feel like you and I haven't even talked as much this week just because we've been watching so many things so closely. I, I mean, that's it. You're you're locked into everything and what's going on, and uh, it's, it's throwing me off these three-day breaks in you know, NBA and NHL that I'm not sure what the thought was behind not having a game on – Friday night I thought that would have been prime time but uh, I don't like the three-day breaks it's too long I forget what's going on I agree with you I think it feels like like before the NBA finals started in game one where Toronto beat Golden State we'll talk about here in a minute it it was 11 days between basketball games like it was crazy and I mean me and on the the other on the break guys Josh and Kyle so they were actually both here this week and so we recorded a, an episode of On the Break, so go check that out. It's on our, under our uh, umbrella and our website and everything. Sensibly, uh, sensibly loud, loud, right, yeah. And so we went and uh, recorded a bunch of stuff on NBA, and there was so much to talk about, even though basketball had barely been played. And I just feel like the drawn-out breaks have made it feel even worse. So I agree with you. I think the three-day breaks are just awful. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I get it. They do this every year. They make the finals almost three weeks long if it goes, you know, six, seven games. So, yeah. um, but hey, these guys need rest this time of year. So I'd rather have players at their peak. It's more fun to watch the games when they're playing their absolute best anyway. So I'm fine with it in that sense. That's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, I'm fine with it overall. It's not like there's too much complaining, but it just feels like I it throws off the rhythm enough where I have a hard time. Maybe it's just that we overthink it. Maybe that's what it is. Well, you know, maybe a little bit, and these guys do need rest. We saw Joel Embiid can't even walk up the court for more than five straight minutes. So, you know, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll take it. Exactly. Well, I guess we'll dive into that for a second, and then we're going to talk some soccer because you've got to fill us in on what's going on there. Ooh, yes. Lots of stuff. But uh, I think surprisingly, I don't know. I don't. I can't decide if it's surprising or not. Toronto beat Golden State in the very first game of the NBA Finals in Toronto. Atmosphere there was electric, though, man. And it was a home court advantage for sure for Toronto there. Oh, huge home court. I mean, they haven't, I haven't seen a crowd like that for a while. And it was exciting to see them get into it. And the greatest part about that win was Kawhi Leonard, you know, had not a great game, I would say. You know, he wasn't on his A game uh, scoring wise, but certainly on the distribution. And uh, everyone stepped up around him. And I loved what they did. And, uh, you, you were kind of waiting for Golden State to make that run, weren't you? You're like, okay, this is however yep. game's gone. Golden State down at halftime. They're going to make this big run to end the game. And it never came. It never did. But it, wildly entertaining. And we got a great series ahead of us. I can't imagine this thing, you know, possibly not even going seven. I, that's the way it's trending in my mind. I mean, I don't, I still don't think it changes a whole lot. I think Golden State was really off. They, got thrown off balance where I really saw the difference was that Draymond Green didn't see Pascal Siakam figuring out him so quickly yeah and I mean Siakam balled out in that game I think he had 32 points in that first game and And that rebounds left and right to your point I mean he just he felt like he was everywhere he was like a goalie who was pitching a shutout well and to kind of put this in perspective I saw a stat the other day that was like his 32 points the stat was like the most amount of points in a like show out playoff game so like your first game being a real show up being like a a playoff or a finals game and Allen Iverson was on top of that list at 42 and he was at 32 so to put that in comparison it's not too bad he had a hell of a game he was everywhere yeah absolutely and you got to give Toronto a lot of credit uh players always speak about that first game in the NBA finals or any finals you know Super Bowl whatever sport there's a lot of nerves there and having that experience, how important that is. You know, Patriots can certainly allude to that in the NFL. And for Toronto to have pretty much a team full of guys outside of Kawhi that haven't really been there is very impressive how calm they were, composed, uh, 
against a team that's been there for the past five years. So no there doubt. was a lot, a lot to be impressed about. Iguodala looked off. I mean, Steph still put up a quiet 30 plus points, but it just it felt out of cadence and out of rhythm. And it doesn't sound like they're going to get KD back until game three or four, which I still don't think that there's concern there. I'm sticking with my prediction. I'm just I'm going to say it's in five instead of I think I might have said in five, actually. Yeah, yeah, we both were in agreement that, you know, Toronto probably would get one of these first two at home. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, with the amount of time off that Golden State had uh, and bringing Boogie Cousins back into the mix who they haven't played with, you know, on and off throughout this season, they just didn't look to be in that form. And that happens all the time in baseball, NHL, every sport, the team with that longest layoff, it is hard to get things revved back up again. So um, you would think, coming into tonight game two that you're going to see a, a different Warriors team maybe now back in the you know mode of playing competitive basketball that's where my head's at too and I mean Iguodala did not look healthy you know and I think I, I I've been on this show saying that I thought that if Golden State suffered one more big injury in addition to Kevin Durant that they'd be in some real trouble here and I, I just think though that to Toronto's credit they played great defense the other night but they still just made a lot of shots that were fluky and that felt like like Freddie Van Vliet is just out there killing it, right? Like he's averaging like 17, 20 points a game, something like that right now. And some of the shots that he made are just shots that don't typically go in. Yeah, he was feeling it. He was hot. You know, Wichita State product um, kid went in the second round. But Fitz, fantastic. And to be fair, he's getting some wide open threes too. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, it was kind of interesting. Golden State to not adjust. They kept double teaming Kawhi, and Kawhi is very comfortable kicking it out. Great ball movement. It was beautiful. It was almost like it was completely flipped. Where typically see Golden State getting double teamed on Steph, him dishing it out, and they kind of gave him a taste of their own medicine. So I'm excited to see what adjustments each side makes and into game two tonight. Strong agree. Well, we used the whole last episode to talk basketball, so we're going to move into soccer. I'm not a huge soccer guy, so I'm going to let you run it down for the good people. Yeah, absolutely. So yesterday, Saturday, we had the Champions League final. For those of you who are not too familiar with soccer, uh, the top teams across Europe, uh, they're all different on how many spots they get to qualify for this tournament. Tournament starts all the way back in August, uh, moves into it's the same sort of format as the World Cup where you start with group play, then you go into knockouts. So uh, yesterday we had two teams out of the Premier League, which has only happened, uh, I think, twice. And only six times has the tournament had two teams from the same league actually face off. Uh, Liverpool had a great season. They finished second in the Premier League. They had 97 points, which was the most points uh, for a team not to win. Uh, the championship in the Premier League. So this was a huge win for them yesterday. They got an early handball that they converted on the penalty kick. They won the game 2-0. Uh, I'm a huge Liverpool fan, so for myself, this was uh, a historic day. Their sixth championship league trophy. Only two other um, teams in the world have six or more. So it was a fantastic win. If you watch the game, it probably wasn't as entertaining as most would have liked. Um, but there is nothing bad about watching uh, the best team in the world uh, win 2 nothing in, in the biggest tournament in the world. So, fantastic. I couldn't have loved it anymore. I'm probably going to watch the replay today. All right. I, I uh, My thing about soccer is just that I I enjoy it. It's just another league for me to keep up with. And honestly, man, I just don't have it in me to do that. And I don't care enough to do that. It's exactly how you feel about tennis. You just don't have the capacity nor the interest to really keep up with it. That- yeah, I'd agree. And at this point, you know, you, you're kind of set on what you enjoy watching and getting behind it and learning a new sport and the ins and outs. I'm just, I don't think I'll ever get there with tennis. And I love soccer from the standpoint, you know, it's played pretty much year round, except right now, now that they're all off. Uh, now you get the transfer window, which is kind of similar to a free agency period for sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you wake up 6, 7, 8 a.m. on a Saturday, there's soccer going on, you know, being England's, I think, eight hours ahead of us. So it's extremely fun to w- wake up and have a sport to watch. And that's kind of how I fell into, uh, you know, getting involved. I was like, oh, this is always on. You start to watch a few, kind of develop a love for a team. And 
there's nothing better than 24-7 sports when you got soccer on all the time. It's awesome. There was a time when I started to get into it a little bit, and I Liverpool is my has always been my team of choice. And if nothing else, simply because it's owned by John Henry and the Fenway Sports Group. So, I mean, right. that's the automatic allegiance right there. But I, So I've always kind of kept an eyeball on it, but I just I don't have the capacity to follow. It's, it's relatively easy to follow, like, overall. It really is. Like, the tables are pretty straightforward with points and all that. You don't really, like, nothing's really that complicated. You have two transfer windows a year. That makes it pretty easy. It's, it's really relatively straightforward. I just don't have the capacity. Yeah, totally understand, but we're going to we're going to try to expand the horizons this coming year with yeah. the Premier League starting back up. You know, we'll we've got a couple folks who enjoy soccer, maybe get some blogs going and get a guest on here, but um absolutely. Well, I'm down yeah. to talk about it. I just don't watch it as much as I I wish like I know you watch it all the time and I wish I were that into it, but I'm just not as much. Yeah, and definitely understand and we got the World Cup 3 years from now and I can guarantee you we'll have plenty of coverage for that and Hopefully, you know, with the United States not making the World Cup last year, I think that really hurt America's kind of drive or, you know, sense of urgency to get behind soccer. Because there was a lot, a couple, you know, two World Cups ago when they made it to the knockout, you know, people were getting all behind it. So I think we'll see that flip back on once we uh, get the World Cup coming back around again. Who was it they played in that game, in that knockout game? I believe it was Germany. Am I making that up? That sounds right. And they went on to win anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a that was a great Germany team. Oh my goodness. Um, that was. But U.S. has got some young kids coming up. It's uh, you can the under twenties got a tournament going on right now. They played on Friday, I believe, or Thursday of last week. That was fun. So there's always is the reason I love soccer. There's always a tournament going on. We're going to the international side now. It's fun seeing these guys play for their international teams. Play with teammates that you know they're rivals against and they're and you know their club team so th- there's a lot of aspects that can be uh kind of fun to watch and be entertained by so to exchange that favor i'm going to work on getting you into tennis somehow and i'm not going to say i'm not going to go out and say that you're going to be watching every major or anything like that but i think i can at least get you into wimbledon this year okay we'll try we'll yeah. see wimbledon's we'll, a lot of fun to watch it's the main one i watch every year i don't I, the French Open's going on right now. I know Serena got eliminated yesterday, but I don't really care about it otherwise. I just don't. Yeah, I, I just don't even know who's good. I think I know Roger Federer. And, uh, yeah, some of the – I mean, it's a lot of the – I equate it to golf in a lot of ways. I was talking to a buddy about of mine about this yesterday. I equate it to golf in that the guys that have been around have been around for so long, like Nadal and Federer, Novak yeah. Djokovic. He's a little bit newer, but – you know, some of those guys have just been around for so long. It's just like golf where how long have you been watching Jim Furyk play golf? Too long. <laughs> okay, too long, yes. But regardless, like most of the time that you can remember, right? Yeah, oh, Furyk's always been up there. You know, same with Phil, Tiger. You know, these are yeah. just names you're accustomed to seeing. Well, the Tiger one is obvious, right? But I'm talking about the, you know, maybe not like the A-list golfers, but the guys that are always in the in the mix, you know, the coaches right. of the world as much as... I dislike him now, who I, I used to really like him a lot. Uh, but th- those guys have just been around for so long. Tennis is kind of the same way. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, it's we'll, we'll just kind of follow along. It's one of those things, I think, that it's on during the day, during 4th of July week, and that's always Ooh. really nice time. It's, like, hot, and it's just nice to sit inside, kind of watch, like, a summer sport and just chill out, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, no, and I, and I completely agree. Sports that are on on the off hours of, you know, Major League Baseball, oh, it's yeah. easy to get involved in those. And easy that's the other involved. thing, is that baseball's off at that point in time, and that makes it even easier to fall into for me. So Right. Oh, com- completely agreed. Yeah, and then kind of once you're in it, then it's like, well, i got to finish it out if it's going to be interesting. So <laughs> lots of drama, all that. So, uh, we'll yeah, we'll be talking more soccer. We'll be talking more se- tennis this summer. Lots of stuff to come on that. Uh, big news right now, big stuff going on. We've got Bruins up 2-1 in the Stanley Cup final. How are you feeling about this? Wow, what a blowout last night. I mean... It was a massacre. Oh, that was. And, I mean, you're watching it early on. You're like, okay, this may be that low-scoring game. You know, so far they've had, you know, five and I think eight goals. You're like, okay, this may be that, you know, type of one to two nothing type of game that we're... It's going to be a grind. And, you know, Tuka Rask hasn't really been beat all series. Uh, and then Boston just said, screw it. We're just going to, you know, open up a can of whoop-ass. You know, we brought David Backus in for this game. 
Chara's probably playing through a broken wrist. I mean, these guys, I, and the great part about hockey is these guys hate each other. It's a seven-game series. They're chippy as hell, and that's what it's we kept June. seeing. I mean, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, Boston is just out hit, just killing these guys. I mean, as a St. Louis player, you just got to be thinking, man, I just want to have a shift without getting my head head rattled. Um, I, I don't know where we see this series go. I would imagine Boston's going to end up winning. Uh, hopefully it's done in about six or less, but uh, man, it just, you watch this game. You don't have to be a hockey expert to realize that Boston is the better team. That is the deeper team, better goaltending, better coach. I mean, they've been there. St. Louis looks like a fish out of the water sort of here. And even their game two win, you know, Boston had their chances. I give them credit for winning, but there, there's no one who's watched this series and said, oh, I feel like St. Louis is going to come around and win this thing. Yeah, dude, Boston was thrown off kilter in that second game for sure. And they were just, it felt like they were playing from behind. And you you texted me and said, you know, this game is somehow going to end up going to St. Louis. And, yeah. and I just, I think I told you to shut your ass or something like that. Um, just yep. some nonsensical <laughs> Well, Bullshit. yeah, I you mean, know. you were watching and you just felt like Boston had so many chances that were just missed. And St. Louis, you know, they play the Dallas Stars, so, you know, we were pretty in tuned with what was going on there. And it seems like every series, St. Louis has just gotten every bounce, every call, and suddenly it's not this series. You know, oh, their lucks ran out a little bit, and they're kind of, you know, turning back into the pumpkin. But I don't see how this, this series goes uh, to St. Louis. It's you know, they'd have to win three out of the next four to do that. And it just seems like a tall order for a team that's completely overmatched on pretty much every level except line one. And their line one's been pretty horrendous so far this series. And yeah, Boston just absolutely throttled them. It didn't even, it wasn't even close really. And at the end, I mean, some of those open net goals were just brutal. You know, your shit's weak whenever you pull the goalie and you've got to put him back in the net. Oh, well, yeah, they were down three goals for the folks who didn't watch us, five to two. Boston got a goal, and then they did a chip shot on the guy. They got a penalty on St. Louis, and then they got another goal with the power play. And it's you, you just feel bad, honestly, for St. Louis because that town's waited so long for a Stanley Cup, and they're probably going to lose in five. That's that's true. Yeah, I mean, they've and they've been on the precipice a couple of times in the last few years. That last year or so, whenever they had Hitch, what was that, two years ago, three years ago now? Whenever yeah, they got yeah. Hitch was there probably three now. Yeah, yeah, I think about three. And that was a pretty big disruption whenever they got bounced at the time. Yeah, Hitch was a great coach. Then he got let go, and he went to the Dallas Stars for a year. That flamed out. But, you yeah. know, they, they've got some talent there, uh, and their goalie, Bennington, has been just hot. You know, we've talked about him on the show already, kind of a career – he wasn't supposed to ever be your starting goaltender, and he just, you know, has gotten hot this year that brought the team from the worst team in December in the NHL and out of the Stanley Cup. Uh, it just feels like it sucks that the luck's running out at this point, but, you know, at some point the cream rises to the top, and that's really what we're seeing with these two teams is just a, a better overall team. I hate to simplify it, but that's just really what it is. Yeah, I mean, and you've been saying that for two rounds now. I mean, it was pretty obvious going through the first round and even blazing through the second round like they did. It was pretty obvious that they were overpowering most teams because of the fact that this whole playoff was such an underdog race and they were not the, they were the only non-underdog team there, probably. Yeah, we talked about this on the show after round one, how so many of the big names did get out and how there was an opportunity for a non-powerhouse you know, powerhouse hockey franchise to take the cup. Um, and Boston said, nope, we're, we're just going to power right through all these. It, it's sort of like a, but you know, you go to the elite eight and there's seven mid majors and then, you know, a, a team like Duke there and you're yeah. like, eh, well, someone could upset Duke, but really, you know, Hey, Duke's probably going to take it. And that's really what we've seen here is, um, just uh, again, Boston overmatching. They got four deep lines. And when you have that in hockey, that's what it takes to win in the playoffs, having four deep lines. And that's what they've done. I like it. All right. Let's chat about some baseball. So that's something that we haven't really been talking about, but I feel like we're over a quarter of the way through the season at this point. We're into June. We're starting to hear about some trade stuff, which we'll talk about here in a second with Seattle. Yeah. I think now we're, I th we're a Yeah. No, we're more we're like more than a third, right? Yeah, we're a third of the way through the season. I mean, I think all star voting opened up 
It, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe that was another sport. Um, <laughs> it's close if it hasn't already. Yeah, and we got the the MLB draft tomorrow, um, and so that's going to open up kind of a can of worms. So you got the the draft coming on here, and like you mentioned, the first chips fall on Jay Bruce to the Phillies, which well, I want your thoughts on that trade because I'm puzzled by it. So what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, has that happened yet? Yeah, it's done. It's done? Okay. So I yep. saw yesterday that it was making traction. I didn't see that it was done. Yeah. Okay. So I th- – I think it's a good acquisition there because I saw that Philly still has like 90 million underneath the cap at this point or the luxury tax cap. And so they're not looking to that's essentially MLB's quote unquote salary cap. Basically, you just pay the salary times a certain factor is the more years you go over and it's basically to keep teams from overspending. And so. I think they're 90 million under the cap. I don't see an issue with adding to this outfield specifically because I feel like they don't trust a double Herrera. Um, well, so that's my confusion because they've had Scott Kingery playing center field mm-hmm. and move McCutcheon over McCutcheon and Harper on the corners, which I think provides them a lot of offense and a lot better defense. McCutcheon is a serviceable center fielder at this point in his career but certainly not a guy that you're saying, I want that as my everyday center fielder. So this trade is confusing to me from the standpoint of it's pushing McCutcheon back to center field. I do like Jay Bruce, but he he has been that guy his whole career where teams acquire him and people think it's going to do more than it does. I mean, the Mets, Cleveland. I mean, I just don't feel like or Jay Bruce brings much different than what you're getting on your current team, to your point, Adubel Herrera, Scott Kingery kind of splitting time in the outfield. Nick Williams is also on that team. Another left-handed bat. Reese Hoskins. Play. Yeah, Reese Hoskins. I mean, well, he's playing first base. but yeah, he Oh, has he been playing first? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. They've moved him back to first now that they got rid of uh, what's-his-face. Uh, I think they had Justin Bohr they brought in last year or something stupid. Boy, um, you want to talk about a player that deserves to be in a DH spot. Jeez, yeah. Reese Hoskins um, is one of them. So from my point, you know, they, they first reported, hey, he's going to be a bench guy, you know, more of a platoon type situation, which wouldn't make sense because they're taking on the $21 million of his contract that's left, which to your point makes sense because they have the money to spend. But again, I just go back to the fact, I don't know if this improves your team. It, it almost creates an issue because now you're taking a young guy like Herrera and Nick Williams. I don't know the corresponding move yet. Uh, they said they'll, he's joining the team in San Diego tomorrow. I'm just, I think it creates more of an issue, to be honest, because I'm a big believer in certainly, I mean, you want the best defense you have out there. And I don't think that this suddenly improves your lineup, adding a guy who's going to hit, you know, 240 with some power. But uh, to me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the Phillies. I feel like if they waited, there's probably better moves to be made near the deadline. I mean, a guy like, you know, possibly Hunter Pence, who's having a fantastic year, come in there, another veteran guy. Uh, there's going to be a lot outfields always oversaturated in my mind in the trade market um, as well. So to me, it just, it's confusing from a defensive standpoint and just how it makes the roster kind of oversaturated with outfielders. I get that, but I think that eventually you're going to have to deal with some injury. And I think McCutcheon's probably your, your, I don't know. It's kind of between those two. It feels like. Yeah, and I guess they could be looking for a little bit of platoon there. And, yeah, McCutcheon's up there in age, so certainly giving him some time off will help. Um, but, you know, you signed him to a three-year deal. I think it was around $70 million. I mean, you're not paying a guy like that that type of money to sit on the bench either. So Has McCutcheon, I mean, has McCutcheon ever been in the right spot, though, ever? Well, I mean, he carried that Pittsburgh team. For those yeah. Days. Aside from that, I don't think – I think after they shipped him out of town – He's had kind of an unfortunate overall run in his career at different places. Yeah, and it was funny because when he did get when he signed with Phillies, you know, very early on in free agency, if you forget forgot, he was kind of a first domino, and people were like, you know, why the Phillies? And he jokingly said, but seriously as well, did you see what they offered me? Because <laughs> I don't think anyone else was in that realm. Anyone else was sniffing the money that they gave to him. No, and that's fair. And I mean, you look at he's. He spent 2018 between the Giants and the Yankees. 
So, I mean, I guess I guess it feels like he's been more places than that. But I, maybe I'm thinking of Cespedes. I don't know. I, I always get those two confused. They're kind of speedy that way. Yeah, but I mean, as far I as just, like their career moves and where they've been, I don't get them confused specifically. Yeah, I just think McCutcheon's, you know what he is at this point in his career. So yeah. that contract was confusing. Um, it just seems like they're bringing in a lot of guys who are going to put up similar numbers. And are you just playing the hot hand? You, you know, you can't just platoon everyone and piss them off. But Gabe Kapler doesn't give a shit either. I mean, that guy is one of the weirdest, you know, I mean, he tries to sound like he's forward thinking, but it sounds like internally he pisses a lot of people off. Um, so it's just as I don't get the situation. I think it's going to be a mess. I don't think the Phillies are going to end up doing much this year. You know, too many free agent trade acquisitions. Guys aren't gelled. It just doesn't seem like a team at the end of the day that's going to compete uh, once we're going down the stretch. They're going to come out of this division because teams like the Braves have stumbled big time this year. The the Braves yeah. are not as good as everybody thought they were going to be. Acuna got off to a really slow start. Ozzy Albies hasn't been great. It, it just they've been slow to start for sure. I was just well, looking real quick uh, to close out the Phillies talk though. Uh, McCutcheon has 42 bases on balls, so he walks a good wow. amount. That's that's valuable to this team. That oh, and that's why he's been in that leadoff spot. So that's fantastic. I love to see that. Um, and that's just, smart playing by Gabe Kapler. But I, I think I think to your point, kind of what you said before. Ultimately, that team isn't going to do much in the playoffs. I think they're going to have to get Kapler up out of there. And if they could bring in somebody like Joe Girardi, who knows how to manage that team and could lead a. a group of young guys and partner with Bryce Harper, that would be a really good hire. So two thoughts there on everything that we mentioned. I think the name to watch would be Ned Yost. Hmm. Final year of his contract in Kansas City. I think he's a fantastic manager. Obviously what he did with those Royals team was great. And you know, the talent that's there now is not indicative on his way of managing a team. You know, a veteran guy like that to come in would be perfect. Um, briefly on the Braves, to your point, the disappointment that they've had. You know, the Donaldson signing was a little confusing with w- what you knew you had in the minors with Austin Riley, and we've seen him absolutely mash the baseball. You know, I don't think Donaldson will be back in Atlanta knowing that, hey, we have a kid who can take that over. Um, and, yeah, they've struggled on the pitching front. You know, Mike Poltowitzki has been horrendous. Uh, Sean Newcomb's been regulated to the bullpen. You know, two guys who were great last year. Uh, they just don't have that that ace yet that I think they need. And Julio Tehran's been real up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a fine middle of the road guy, but it feels like a team with a bunch of, you know, two, three, and four pitchers who are kind of all pitching below that right now. Uh, and the bullpen's not that great either. So there's a lot of holes in Atlanta. And I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Josh Donaldson moved maybe near the deadline. Uh, I don't think that, that marriage is going how people are thinking. And being that they have a player that can step in and play, uh, they have actually two other third basemen on the roster: Austin Riley and uh, Camargo, I believe. Oh yeah, is that Camargo. Yeah, how you say his last name. You yep. know, he played third base for them last year. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be so shocked. It, it could be a move from a team that's already in competition, but it may make sense for them uh, if they get the right offer. Who needs a bat? I'm trying to think. Um, the Yankees don't really need a bat. Well, the Yankees would be a perfect fit, being that well, Andujar's out for the whole year. Um, the fill-in, uh, Usela, oh, man, I'm a butcher. Some tough names here with these young guys. Um, you know, they, they may be looking at that. I, I've mentioned the Twins and the Rays both looking for a third baseman. I don't think the Twins necessarily want Miguel Sano there if, you know, possible, but they have a log jam at first base as well. So Donaldson's just a name I'd recommend keeping an eye on that may move around near the deadline depending on how – you know, these next few months go uh, with the Braves. Yeah, I think so. I think they're probably going to try to find value somewhere. The thing about the Yankees, just to touch on that for a second, is the fact that, I mean, I've been saying it on the outfielder all year. I think that they've been the most surprising team to me, given their situation, because they've had so many injuries and they have maintained so strong given some of those big injuries. And, I mean, Giancarlo Stanton's got some sort of shoulder issue that, we don't really know quite what it's about yet. It doesn't seem he's coming back, but I don't know. They've really, really, really slow played it. So yeah, he I, he's not trending in the right direction. Aaron Judge still hurt. You know, as we mentioned, uh, Michael and Duhar 
uh, Miguel and Duhar out for the year. Um, Severino, their ace from last year, I think it's just starting to throw again. So a lot of injuries, but that team, if they can stay in that hunt, not a team I'd be wanting to face in the playoffs either if they suddenly get healthy in a hurry. Strong agree. Um, okay, so you've been telling me about the Twins, trying to sell me on the Twins a little bit. I don't yep. quite believe in them yet. Sell me. I mean, what what's there to sell? I mean, they're a team that's still number one team in baseball, run differential, number one record. They have Nelson Cruz, their best hitter right now, hurt. Uh, Miguel Sano is back and healthy and mashing the baseball. Uh, Byron Buxton, the former number one prospect, is finally looking like that number one prospect. And they took they took a gamble on a lot of veterans, you know, like C.J. Crone, Jonathan Scope, who have just been performing great. Jorge Polanco, their shortstop's been battling some injuries, but he he has been a fantastic one or two hole player. Um, you know, they brought in Rocco Baldelli to be the manager for this team in the analytical side, and I think we're seeing that pay off. I mean, the launch angle that you're seeing from the Twins on these home runs is absurd, and. It, being that, you know, I, I did spend some time in Minnesota, I definitely would consider myself at least, you know, I'll, I'll certainly cheer for the Twins over anyone but the Rangers. Sure. Um, and, and the pitching staff's been great. You know, Jose Barrios is looking like an ace, which they need. Jake Odorizzi's been great. Uh, Martin Perez, who they signed as a free agent from the Rangers, has de- developed a cutter that has been fantastic. He's hitting the upper 90s on his fastball, I mean, you're just talking about a team that took risk on some veterans, and they're all paying off. I mean, you just – there hasn't been one guy who hasn't. Uh, Mitch Garver's back in the lineup today as well for the Twins, who's been a you know a lightning rod at the catcher position. Um, there's just not a lot to dislike. And the bullpen has been I, – I, I was worried about the Twins' bullpen coming into the year. I would have graded it probably as one of the bottom five, but uh, they've been able to get results. And I think now, being tonight at midnight, we have the compensation coming off for free agents. And obviously, the two biggest names still out there, Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. Um, If the Twins aren't at least talking to Kimbrell's representatives about possibly bringing him in, they're kidding themselves. Because this is a team, if you bring in a, a proven veteran elite closer who's won World Series, been there and done that, this is certainly a real dangerous team if you're locking down that back end of the bullpen, which uh, we both know you need to do in order to progress through the playoffs. So I, I, I hear you on that. Where I give pause is what you're telling me is that every single thing is working absolutely perfectly, which is great. Yeah. In a 162-game season, that is very difficult to maintain. And when I look at this, the roster up and down, I've seen guys like Jonathan Shope over the years stumble. And, I mean, they're just just—they're not that type of player. I mean, Jonathan Shope specifically has an OPS of 819. He's not that kind of career player. He's never well, been that guy. And they're well, just they're people like that who are playing really, really, really well that you got to wonder if they're going to take a little bit of a pause at some point. I mean... That happens in baseball for sure. And like this, the pitching staff, like Jose Barrios specifically, that dude falls off a cliff every year in the second half. So, uh, to your point, you got to look at Kimbrell or um, Keichel to try to strengthen things up. But I would be concerned that those are holes that you're going to have to plug. It happens every year with them. Yeah, I would agree with you. Certainly, MLB teams, just like the Red Sox, had a rough start to the season. You're going to go through a down spell. Um, but being able to weather that, you know, get guys healthy and, you know, it's great because the trade deadline will come up. There'll be an opportunity to bring in reinforcements. And I think the twins will do that. It's a loaded farm system. They got plenty of guys that they can use to bring in additional talent. Um, and you know, a name that would make a lot of sense for the twins would be, you know, the Texas Rangers, Mike Miner, uh, one of the best pitchers easily this year and over kind of the last full year, if you're looking at it. Um, so to your point, there's going to be a stumbling point, like all major league baseball teams go through, but there's something about this team and you can't, you can't dismiss team chemistry and how much that means. And I think Rocco Baldelli has found a way to come in there, earn the respect of these guys, and they're just having fun. And every time you look at a world series champion, you kind of almost say the same thing. Like, Hey, they rallied around the manager. They all were on the same page. People knew their roles. And I think that's what we're seeing, you know? This, every day the lineup's a little different. You know, you see guys hitting, you know, 
number two one day and number six the other day. You know, Max Kepler's had a great year out in right field for them. Eddie Rosario, my gosh, I love watching Eddie Rosario bat. The launch angle that he gets on these baseballs and driving it out. I think they're just ahead of the curve a little bit in the analytical side and, uh, you know, the front office that they have. Derek Faverly has been fantastic. So I wouldn't dismiss them from, you know, really looking at bringing in, you know, one of the other names out there. Madison Bumgarner isn't on – twins are not on his no trade list and that's a guy that you could really bring in to stabilize things yeah there's no doubt about that and i certainly understand the perspective of hey you know guys fade off in the second half of the season and that's not abnormal with younger guys just because they're not used to that long of a season that grind so i think that uh, you know jose barrios now that he has that experience he should have that stamina now uh, to maybe look through it. And when you have, you know, a uh, double-digit lead on the division, you can give guys breaks. You know, you can have them skip a start, allow them to stay fresh. So I think that they'll have that opportunity a lot like Cleveland has in the past couple of years. I mean, I look at OPS on this team and eight of no, uh, sorry, seven of nine or plus 800 OPS. That's not going to last. Like that's a lot of things clicking really well for everybody at the right time. I mean, it's, I don't care it's, what team it is. It doesn't take the names off. I really don't care what team it is. That's hard to. It, yeah, hard to it's maintain. easy to say it's not going to last. I'm not going to disagree with you that this rate is sustainable because it's probably not. But you're still looking at a team that's going to be in the playoffs that is got oh, yeah. a lot of firepower. So. Oh yeah, no, I mean they're in, they're in a good spot because baseball is all about maintaining the status quo once you get up there right and they're very very much benefited I would like to put an asterisk on them a little bit of being in a really bad division and having played a lot of divisional games against really terrible fucking teams and and teams have had unfortunate things happen like some of the Cleveland pitching stuff and all that but I just think that it's all about maintaining once you get up and then just catching fire at the right time in October that's all it's ever about Right. So, you know, as we move closer, it'll be interesting to see where they're at. But, um, you know, it for a team that wasn't expected to really be in this position, it's fun to watch. Um, now, now, on the flip side of that, we got a Houston Astros team, J-Mac, and I know you're pretty well in tune with what's going on there. A lot of injuries, you know, Tuve, Springer, Correa's been hurt on and off. You know, staff's been a little banged up. The bullpen's been a little iffy. Um are you worried about Houston? I mean, that's a team that probably people came into the year, you know, kind of donating them, you know, one of the top favorites being the injuries that they've seen. Are you at all concerned with Houston? Who's also in a bad division who you can probably say they'll be in the playoffs too. I think it's a similar spot as the twins, but you know, they have the injury side. What's your thoughts there? I feel like both the teams in this division, them and the A's were expected to really go head to head. And the A's have been really garbage really really terrible and I just I think that the injury bug is catching up to this Houston team and that this Houston team is crafted in a very specific way and the electricity that Altuve brings to the lineup Correa brings to the lineup I do think I was going to ask you whenever we were talking about the twins I feel like Marwin Gonzalez was a weird loss for the Astros in a way I'd agree with that. And I mean, he's a guy that can play from third base, shortstop. He plays all over the diamond. Yeah, he's a Um, utility guy. So when you use a super utility guy like that, it does hurt a team. Um, And I feel like he plugged in in places whenever they needed, like if guys needed a day off or whatever. But now you've got, it seems like this Altuve DL thing keeps being drug out even longer. It keeps kind of, you know, he was in on his uh, rehab uh in a rehab start the other day playing in triple a and tweaked his knee a little bit and took a couple right. of days off. And they said, Oh, well actually it looks fine. And so they're like, okay. And so now he's back with another rehab assignment. So it just seems like they keep kicking that can down the road a little bit on him. And he's just a very, he's like Dustin Pedroia. As far as health goes, he plays his ass off and his, his mental will probably outpaces his, his physical ability in a lot of ways. And it, it keeps him hurt a lot. It just sucks. Yeah, and he was hurt last year in the playoffs, same knee injury. Um, so you're starting to think it's just reoccurring. You know, is this a trend? You know, you hate to see that because he's a great player, but yeah, you're kind of getting to a point where, you know, is this a guy we can really rely on uh, moving forward? And um, inevitably, Michael Brantley will get hurt at some point. 
and he's, and been he's really had a fantastic year. I mean, you talk about a great signing, though. That was for them. They needed a left-handed power bat, corner outfield spot. Um, he's you a, know to really yeah. elevate. And unfortunately, Josh Reddick, because of injuries, has been forced into playing. But um, you, you know, the same deal. Houston has tons of prospects at AAA, AA. All guys who are ready to come up. You know, we've seen Derek Fisher get promoted. He's been, you know, highly touted at some points in his career. Uh, so he's been giving us. Uh, you know, shot now with Springer being banged up. Um, but they got plenty of guys, with, and they're not afraid to pull the trigger on trades either. So I think it'll be very interesting in the AL especially because it's very top-heavy. I think we can say, obviously, Houston, Minnesota probably looking like their divisions. And then as we mentioned, you know, months ago, Rays, Red Sox, and Yankees probably filling out the rest of the playoffs. And I think it's going to turn into, you know, basically teams coming back and countering punches. Oh, you know, Twins made a trade, Yankees made a trade, Red Sox. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. going to try to one-up each other on bringing in top talent. And I think Houston certainly positioned well with the type of, uh, you know, minor league system they have. But the way it looks right now, if you take this roster and play them in the first round of the ALDS versus Minnesota, they get their clock cleaned. Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> – you look at the lineup today, it's pretty ugly. I mean, it's, not it's probably a few names that you don't know. <laughs> right. So, and, and I think uh, – I just think that – there, Houston's got a lot of holes. As of things look right now, a lot of holes to fill. And yeah, you can go start trading a bunch of people and all that. But like, whenever I mean, you know how that goes in baseball. There are times where you just have a sunk year, and it just sucks. This 2017 was the same way for the Red Sox. It was a sunk year, and it just you know it. There was no reason for it to be. It just was, and it's one of those things where. Sometimes you it, the Rangers had it happen to them in what was that 2014 with Prince Fielder and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. When they made that trade, he got hurt, and yeah, kind of coming off those you know World Series they went to, and you know older guys getting hurt, and yeah, I think we're seeing that a little bit. You know, Lance McCullers, I believe, is out for the year for Houston. You know, that's a big loss. He's been you know a huge part when they won the World Series. So, but Verlander, man, you talk about a guy. I don't know how he's still lighting it up. I mean, Verlander's, what, 38 years old, for goodness sakes? Yeah. He's still top five pitcher in baseball? I mean, it's ridiculous what this guy's doing. That fall is going to be mighty and fast when it comes. <laughs> I don't know when it's coming. At some point, though, it has to. I mean, you can't just stay at this career trajectory. It's incredible what he's doing. No, I mean, 100%. I strong agree with that. I think at some point, though, his shoulder is just going to fall off because he <laughs> he throws the living piss out of the ball at 38 years old. And, and is throwing a lot. I mean, he's got a lot of mileage, too. I mean, those Detroit days, he was pitching, you know, every three days, especially in the playoffs. I mean, that guy has some mileage on him. But, yeah, Houston, to your point, I think is kind of trending that direction. It may be a little bit of a lost year for them. Talk to me about what you think of the Red Sox. <sighs> you know, I have not been a supporter of them, mainly because of their bullpen. I'm not concerned about them making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're going to get there. But I do have a lot of concerns about who's closing out games for that team late. Um, they seem to never have a safe situation, which is weird. I mean, they're either getting blown out or blowing teams out. It's, mm-hmm. It seems like every night. Um, or I don't remember the last time I saw like a you know a seven six Red Sox game. Yeah, where they were winning and had to have a. So you know the bullpen's been kind of masked by that. Um, but you know Chris Sale still hasn't turned it around yet. He's one in seven. Um, what <laughs> he's one in seven yeah he, one in seven there he he just hasn't been chris sale you know rick porcello's had you know kind of doing his thing a little bit you know getting quality starts but it's still you know six six innings three runs uh you know rodriguez hasn't looked great on his part either there just hasn't been a lot for me to get excited about but that lineup's still deadly and uh, ben attendee's kind of having an off year too i feel like i mean it's yeah. not bad numbers but he just doesn't look like ben attendee it, it's been a weird year. It feels like a World Series hangover. For sure. It really does. They just don't have any spark. And it feels like they did. In, they felt in 2018 before they got J.D. Martinez when they just needed a pop, you know, because they were missing right. that production in the lineup from Big Poppy. He came in, made a huge difference right away. Mookie Betts was really good. I mean, this, this couldn't be working. I mean, Mookie, I need to look at his numbers here real quick, but... I mean, he hasn't been having an outstanding year so far. And yeah, he, 
he's a, still having a good year, but I think it's just due to the fact that there hasn't been enough guys on base for him either. You he's know, batting typically two eighty seven th- on base three eighty nine or three ninety eight, and OPS of eight seventy five. He's had twenty seven RBIs, six stolen bags, nine home runs. So, eh, it's okay. He's better well, than that. It's a very good year, but yeah, to your point, for what you would expect out of him, it's been kind of. Uh, wish-washy from what your expectations are so um I, to your point i think they need that spark plug and when you're looking around the mlb on you know potential trade targets is there anyone that you would say hey this would really come in and fill what the red Sox need i mean michael chavis has been great coming up mm-hmm. not not a terrific batting average but he you know he's certainly you don't need to replace him at second base I would say personally, and I've always had a problem with the Red Sox not giving a crap about the catching position, mm-hmm. and I don't know who's available at that front. You know, uh, JT Realmuto, I thought over the offseason would have been an incredible Fit. snack for them. But when you're looking at Jackie Bradley and who's ever at catcher being really underwhelming, uh, or one of those two positions, what are you looking at as someone outside who could come in and really spark things up? Honestly, I really don't know. I don't know. I still can't like I watch this team every night almost and I still don't know if I can figure out what the problem is other than it just it doesn't feel like they're clicking and I I think there are definitely some holes in the bullpen I think Matt Barnes has been really good to start but you and I've shit on Matt Barnes for years yep I I would love to see him come around but I just don't think that he ever will really be that guy but man whatever happened with Kimbrel feels like it was more drastic than what's been let on because they slammed the door on that really quick. And I get not wanting to give him six years, $100 million. I think that was a good move by the Red Sox. But to, I mean, to have none of it and then just to not go into the season with another plan is bold. And I I feel like I, I have to trust Dave Dombrowski here because, I mean, he's he's delivered. He's done what he was supposed to do, but it just feels like a little bit of cockiness, maybe a little bit of short-sightedness. I, I don't know. Something shows them that numbers work. It just I don't think they anticipated like Tyler Thornburg being as bad as he he's been. Yeah, I don't know. I, why I mean, he's it's been a slow start all the way around, and uh, you know, one guy I would say that would be a you know not going to cost you a lot to bring him in. And I know he's traded this year already, but the Giants are obvious sellers. You know, bringing in a guy like Kevin Pillar, who's very familiar with the division, uh, you know, spending a lot of his time in Toronto, in Toronto. Yep. Um, moving him to center field, you obviously have elite defense there. Um, he provides a very useful bat. It's, you know, he's not an all-star, but he, he in that lineup, you don't need him to be. Uh, you could plug him at the nine hole and kind of be a second leadoff guy. And again, I don't think he's going to cost a ton of money for you know relative to you know the rest of the league um but again i I don't think that fixes your team and for whatever reason the red sox seem to have this infatuation with jackie bradley jr his defense is incredible in the outfield i know but at some point you need someone who hits above the mendoza line yeah i get that but it hasn't really mattered and he has come up clutch in clutch moments i mean it hasn't really ultimately mattered he's he came up really hot in the world series at the right time and or maybe that was the ALCS. I can't remember. I think it was the ALCS. It was against Houston, and he just—I mean, his—he plays that outfield corner better than anybody in baseball, and there's no denying that. I get what you're saying, but it's almost like the catcher thing—they just don't care about it. I don't think you can take him off the field in that sense. I think he is a much better outfielder than Kevin Pillar, and that's fine. I just—I'm not big on his bat, so I no. Think- I, I think if you brought Kevin Pillar and you'd put him in a utility spot, almost like you do with Brock Holt or somebody like that where you kind of have them or Edward Eduardo Nunez is probably a better example of that whenever they brought him in just to kind of play all the way around it doesn't always work but it's just a, a plug is all it is yeah absolutely so it'll be interesting because I think the two positions that they can really upgrade um, on the field is catcher and center field and obviously looking into you know stabilize the bullpen I don't think there's any chance Kimbrel goes to Boston you know, if they had any interest, they would have signed him. It didn't wouldn't have cost them draft picks to bring him in at this point. So I don't see a marriage happening there. Um, so I would look for them maybe to explore that trade market if they 
at some point decide that uh, the bullpen does matter, which you would hope they do. And there's some individual things that are happening that are really good. Rafael Devers has taken a really big step forward this year. He's batting he 324 on base 382 and has an OPS of 896. That's pretty damn good for him. Oh, he's been fantastic. And, you know, we've briefly spoken about this. You know, he had that sophomore slump last year, which isn't abnormal. You know, you see some guys who have great rookie years just like he did and then the following year the league adjusts. So he's made that adjustment back. He looks to be in fantastic shape, tons of power. I mean, his game translates extremely well to Fenway Park. Absolutely love him. So I think that's been a, a pleasant surprise. Uh, but uh, to your point about Dustin Pedroia, I think it's a big loss to the clubhouse as well. You know, he's a huge leader on that team. And I don't want to understate the fact that, you know, when you lose someone like that, it will affect, you know, the whole team. I agree with that. I think – I. I... So Sam and I actually argue about this on the baseball show a lot because I think that's a that's a bigger deal than anybody realizes. And I, yeah. I think that he should be able to go out on his own terms. But, man, he he really should just call it now. Like, let's just – he kind of – he's just going to kind of drift away. It kind of seems like that's what he wants to do, you know? Which well, I, yeah, his press conference was kind of confusing talking about, you know, I'm going to take some time off. I'm sick of rehabbing. I mean, I don't think there's any way you can – expect him back this year in any shape or form would he not be great like doing analysis on mlb network or something like that he'd be so good at that oh my gosh that i mean that's his future right i mean that's what you'd expect or a part of boston's you know front office or coaching staff in some way it's either gonna be that or he's gonna go all tim lincecum come on us and we're never gonna hear from him again Jeez, yeah, what did happen to tim Lin- all those millions of dollars that he got for sucking i don't know what, what is he doing just Smoking pot and hiking hills. Boy, talk talk about catching lightning in a bottle at the right time, though, for oh, LA yeah. teams or for some California teams. But um, yeah, man, it's been an interesting year so far. I feel like the storylines have maybe been a little bit different than we anticipated. I think a lot of people thought the Nats were going to be a lot better than they are. I'm not really sure why that is. I didn't exactly believe in that. I, it feels like people just underestimated what losing Bryce Harper would mean. I'm not sure why, though. That's really odd. But anyway, I just there have been some storylines that have been off overall. It it has it's felt like a very strange year for being a third of the way into baseball. Yeah, the, the Nationals have been interesting from the standpoint of you look at that staff, you know, Scherzer, Strasburg, um, then they brought in Patrick Corbin, who's been shut down, but that you hate to keep beating a horse, their bullpen has been Horrendous. horrendous i mean they bad. just anytime they have a lead you're watching you're going they're gonna blow this yeah, and this they is do. going south i mean but that team's loaded with talent on the pitching staff side and hitting wise you know juan soto's had a fantastic year anthony rendon playing like an all-star i mean there's enough offense on that team to be competitive uh, and it's disappointing i don't know i've been a very big nationals fan you know i, I, I like steven strasberg when bryce harper was there as an easy team to cheer for and you know, they had they've had some great teams over the years, but man, they just can never, you know, get over that hump. And it feels like a team where you you may just need to blow it up. I mean, you hate to say that because there's so much young talent, but you're going, what we're doing is not working. Right. And you're not overcoming that NL with this team. So at some point you just have to blow it up. And I don't know if they will, but man, it is tough to watch a team consistently blow leads in the seventh and eighth inning. No, strong agree, and I think we were talking about this at the beginning of the baseball segment of the show. I mean, Seattle's kind of in that boat now. At this point, I mean, it sounds like they've got everybody on the block. They've looked at this. They've already collapsed, and we're three months in, and they're just looking around saying, this isn't working, so let's blow this thing up as quickly as possible. And I think there's some merit for being early to that, for realizing what you are. And Seattle's a great example of a team that is just not great. And the Nationals may be one of those teams as well. So on that other front, you know, the a couple other teams on the NL side, you know, the Cubs and Brewers battling. That division's got a great battle going on. I'd probably say those two teams are the top. Uh, now, I've been in a debate with a couple guys I play uh, some in some leagues with, and I'm a big Joe Madden fan. I think he's a great motivator. I think he his teams have always respected him. You know, he took a lot of raised teams with underwhelming talent and did a lot with them. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously he broke the curse in Chicago. They won the world series, 
What is your thoughts on the Cubs being that they've had, they have a ton of talent. They've had a lot of injuries, but since that world series have, I mean, you can probably say they've underperformed. What's your thoughts on what they have done? Are you a believer in Joe Madden and the Cubs or what's your overall thoughts there in their, their past five years? My feelings over the years on Joe Madden have changed back and forth a lot. And part of it was a, being a division rival of my favorite team. So you right. know, that's always a, a portion. He always creates a good locker room situation, or at least I'll say he did in Tampa Bay. And it seemed like, yeah, he took a lot of a lot of teams that shouldn't have made it far way further than they they would have gone otherwise. And I I give him full credit for that. And I give him full credit for taking the Cubs job because I think that was a smart move. It was a big job. I felt like the Cubs kind of handled it poorly. But yep. um, the guys bought in immediately. And he's way more of a hip guy, I think, than people realize. And he's he know, I think he's probably one of the first managers I've ever seen that really embraced analytics and used it in his everyday thinking. Would you agree with that? I would 100% agree. Absolutely. And so I think that was the right hire by the Cubs. It obviously got them over the hump. But, man, ever since that team got past the World Series, they have not looked good. And they have a lot of young talent on that team, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, and I mean, so with my conversations, people have disputed the development of guys, let's say Chris Bryant, you know, who haven't really taken that next step. Um, you know, Addison Russell has gone from, you know, being, oh, this, you know, he was in that John Lester trade, a elite prospect coming in. You know, he's obviously had issues off the field. Uh, you know, I'd say Javi Baez, they've gotten the most out of him. But, you know, Kyle Schwarber, Chris Bryant, uh, you know, the Jason Hayward signing, how horrendous that's turned out to be. Um, but then on the flip side, you know, Lester's had a great career there. Kyle Hendricks, I mean, you talk about getting the most out of someone, Kyle Hendricks. Uh, Wilson Contreras has been great. So I feel like they've it's either one or the other. They've really had guys who have taken that step, but they've also had guys where like Chris Bynes has been really underwhelmed. I mean, he's been pretty, you know, above average third baseman, but he's kind of has a stigma that he's an elite player, but you look at the numbers, they're not there, um, which can int- contribute to last year with injuries. But, sure, um, you know, I guess one World Series out of this core team has been a little disappointing probably to Cubs fans. And I think the way that they've, exited in the playoffs have not been great i mean god they played 162 games last year and it came down to a one game playoff between them and milwaukee it didn't matter at all and it just it it just seems like they have not been clutch and i mean the team let joe madden go into the year as a lame duck manager which is very interesting yep and i just think that they're going to be done with him if they underperform again this year i really do and I think that's that'd be another great place for Joe Girardi to land. Yeah, I'd agree. And I hate to bring it up again, but another team with struggles in the bullpen. I mean, yeah. uh, Brandon Morrow has been hurt. He's on the 60-day DL, their closer. Uh, you know, Steve Shishak, former closer from Miami Marlins, has stepped in and, you know, done a serviceable job. But, you know, it's another team with a lot of talent that seems to have trouble holding leads. Mm-hmm. Um and a potential another landing spot could be Keg Krimble, but it doesn't seem like ownership is really in a position with signings like, you know, Lester, Darvish, and Hayward all in the books right now to really look at a guy like Kimbrell. So it, it, I don't know if their problems are going to get any better, and that farm system has nothing. I mean, they don't have anything in that farm to trade. Um, no, nothing at all. So I don't know if they really have the ability to improve the team much from where it's at. Last thing on the Cubs, I'll say, I just don't think that I'll ever get over the fact that the Red Sox traded away Anthony Rizzo. I get why they brought in Adrian Gonzalez at the time. And obviously, revisionist history, I mean, they had the greatest collapse of any baseball team of all time in 2009. But that just infuriated me, and it never ceases to infuriate me. And you want to talk about a guy who has not taken... he So he's definitely a good player, but he could be better in the right situation. Yeah. And I think that may have to do with Chicago. I mean, the way Madden wants to play, 
Um, yeah, he needs to be on an AL team. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, uh, and it's just another guy, I think, to the point that people feel like Madden and Chicago haven't gotten the most out of. Uh, so it just adds to that list of guys who you kind of question a little bit. You go, he's not performing the way he should. So um, it, there may be some merit to this Chicago debate on you know the direction of the team, the actual talent that's there. Because I think this the thoughts around most baseball is that this is an elite team with elite talent, and they just may not be at the end of the day. Yeah, it's just another case of like the pieces don't really work. You know, and that that's so weird when that happens. The Celtics just went through that where everything was supposed to work and it just didn't. So do you blow that team up? I mean, what do you do with it? Which one? Chicago. No, I think that you at least have to try to bring in another manager and try it. Yeah, I, try I, to run it back with someone else. Yeah, I think Joe Girardi, that could be an interesting spot for him. He's used to the spotlight. But boy, you know, I think they should have done that like this year and not another year from now. So, so I do want to get clarification. And so are you not a Joe Madden believer? I don't, I feel like I change all the time on him because the last, like I, f I was really high on him for winning the world series with that Chicago team because of the way he did it, the way yeah. that he utilized the shift. I mean, he was the first guy to really embrace the shift and, you know, and I mean, there are lots of stats out there that show, show that, but I mean, he was using forms of the shift in Tampa Bay before anybody was even really thinking about it. It, it wasn't as drastic as it is now. Right. He was using forms of that. So in a way he's an innovator, but what he's done in the post world series team Cubs has not been impressive to me. Okay. And I just, I think I would need to see a little bit more. I mean, I, we were talking about this a second ago, like the Red Sox are kind of going through this. Now the world series hangover or a, a championship hangover in general is a very real thing unless you're the Patriots. And I just think that it, it's it been perpetual ever since 2016. That's all they've been doing is just dragging ass through the season in the playoffs. Yeah, and I think it's different in baseball and basketball and NHL. You can include there because the seasons are so long. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you do win the championship, you know what, it's October for baseball and three or four months later, you're reporting for spring training, you know, and then NFL, there is such an off season where you're able to, you know, rest up, rejuvenate, you know, kind of get back on track um, where these other sports, there's just not that time. So I think there's a, a different hangover with these compared to football. So, all right. So we got Joe Mann getting axed. You heard it here from J Mac first. Oh, I've, been, <laughs> um, I've been saying that for two years. I just, it's just one of those things, man. I feel like I always, have a good pulse on that. Like, I mean, how long did I talk about firing John Farrell for? Oh God, that was, that was bad. I mean, that, that was, was blatant, but I mean, I just feel like I always have a pretty good pulse on those kinds of things of when a guy's time is done. There's what is John Farrell doing right now? I mean, is he like a bench coach for someone? I haven't heard his name in a while. I want to say I saw he was doing something, but I bet you that he can't be that valuable, right? I mean, Anybody could have won with that 2013 World Series team. I mean, that was a team that was destined to win. Yeah, the, you're very true. I think that team kind of ran itself with the leadership they had. But um, yeah, he's not doing yeah, anything it, now. He's not doing anything. Nope. Wow. Wild. Must be nice. Yeah, no shit. Must be nice. I mean, wow. he collected a. I feel like though that whenever Dave Dombrowski came in, John Farrell was was walking the plank until he it came out that he had lymphoma right right and, and i'm that was the right thing to do by the red sox i guess but they could have figured that out i think i mean tori lavulo was sitting right there alex cora was the right hire ultimately but lavulo was sitting right there right so and i mean they they performed what better under lavulo than they ever did under Farrell whenever he was out and everything so yeah, that was a weird situation where they were like begging Toronto to interview him. They really wanted him. And I don't think anyone in bait, <laughs> no one else was banging down that door but the Red Sox interview. <laughs> yeah, but after Bobby Valentine, man, you had to do something that was going to appeal to the fan base, I think. Oh, that's true. That's a valid point. That's a very valid point. All right. Well, with Bobby Valentine, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. We will uh, 
So we'll be back next week with another edition of Perpetually Correct. We'll be talking, we'll be further in the NBA, so we'll get to talk about that. And we should have a little bit more clarity on where the Stanley Cup final is headed. So lots to talk about there. Make sure you guys stay tuned. Follow us on social media. That's at Sensibly Loud, Sensibly Loud Media on Facebook. And we'll see you guys next week. Keep it PC.